Hey, my name is Gabe, and I'm, uh, I'll be starting my junior year at Grant High School. Uh, it's a privilege to be here and worship with you today. Will you stand as, I, as we read today's scripture? We believe that, we, that as we see who Jesus is, we are changed to make, be made more like him. Today's scripture is specifically about who Jesus is and that he came from heaven with authority of his father and that he came with power. Today we are reading Luke 9, 28 through 36. After I read, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you can respond with thanks be to God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared, glorious splendor taking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepily, but when they became fully awake, they saw him in his glory, and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as the clouds cloud, saying, This is my son, whom I have chose, chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Gabe, thanks for reading. All right, how are we doing today? Good? Hey, my name's Adam. I'm um, one of the pastors here at Mosaic, and I get to open scripture um, with you today. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app open, make your way to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be walking through this incredible story uh, that Gabe just read for us, and it's it's a, a, a unique story, and it's a powerful story, and it's um, a story kind of shrouded in mystery. Uh, but ultimately, it's a story that is revealing further who this Jesus is, is giving us a greater glimpse of who he is. So we're going to walk through this today, um, and as you're turning to Luke chapter 9, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for this time um, that we get to come together, that we get to bring our faith with one another, to sing songs of truth about you, to proclaim who you are, um, to stir one another, to remind ourselves that we are your sons, we are your daughters, and that you are the God of the universe enthroned in power. And in this story, we get to see a picture of that power at work in Jesus. And so I pray that, that your spirit would open the eyes and ears of our hearts, that today we would know you in a, a greater and more profound way. And uh, we thank you for this time, and we love you. Amen. So to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever met a famous person. 
Um, I kind of ran across someone in an airport one time, but, but I've never actually met a famous person. Uh, the closest I've been to meeting a famous person is actually two people that I was kind of near at a sporting event. Um, so the year is, is 1988, and my parents are taking me to an NFL game in Phoenix, Arizona. It is the 88 San Francisco 49ers against the Cardinals. Now, if you're a football fan, you might know that the 49ers that year went on to win the Super Bowl, but on this day, they lost to the lowly Cardinals. And we got to go and participate in this, and uh, we were there cheering them on way up in the nosebleed section, and at some point during the game, my mom's like, let's go down to the field. Great, I'm seven. I'm like, yeah, let's do this thing. So we, we make our way all the way down to the field, right by the sideline. This was a different time. Security was not a big measure. It was a chain link fence about 10 feet away from the bench. So we made our way down to the San Francisco bench and we're walking around and we come around uh, kind of a, a blockade where there's these stretching devices and there before us is Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. Look at this. I took this picture. Now this is a picture of a picture. Jerry Rice and Joe Montana, if you don't know football, you're like, that's just two names. Let me tell you, they're two of the greatest, right? They're both in the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, they've won Super Bowls. They're renowned. They're legendary in the NFL. And we were right there next to them in the presence of absolute greatness. And I was content just to see them, and my mind was blown. I had their trading cards. I had the little action figures. I'd watched them on TV. I had seen them in magazines. I was very excited just to be uh, about 10 or 15 feet away, but my mom wasn't satisfied. She wanted them to see us, specifically Joe Montana. So she starts screaming, Joe, Joe. This stadium's tens of thousands of people. There's ruckus everywhere, and there's this crazy woman yelling, Joe. And finally, out of either curiosity or annoyance, Joe Montana looks at me and my mom. Yes. In the presence of greatness. Now, their greatness, to my knowledge, doesn't extend off a football field. Uh, it's entertaining. They made a lot of money. That's the extent of, of their greatness. Here's these three men, Peter, James, and John, who are invited with Jesus to this encounter, this beautiful meeting with his father and these champions of old. They get to come to the sidelines and watch this amazing encounter and to get a glimpse of true greatness, to see who this Jesus is, this man who they've seen do amazing things. They've followed him. They've heard his teaching. They've seen the demonstrations of power, and now they're going to see power personified. That it's not just what he does, it's who he is. This beautiful story that is powerful, that is mysterious, is revealing who Jesus is further and further. So if you've got your Bible, follow along with me. Um, Luke 9, starting in verse 28. Um, and to give you a little, a little background leading up to this moment, the, the disciples, as they're following Jesus, have kind of had this up and down thing going. Right? They had this, this mountaintop experience when Jesus raises a dead girl and heals the sick, and then that's followed up with, with Jesus actually sending out the 12, and it doesn't go so well. 
Um, and then it, 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 it kind of turns around and Jesus, through his disciples, feeds the 5,000. They're back up on this high, this amazing thing. And then, and then that follows with Jesus telling them that, that ultimately his journey is leading towards suffering and towards the cross. And, and they're at a low moment. And now they're ascending back into this, this uh, mountain peak. And it says this in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus has said this, that he's going to the cross, he took Peter, John, and James with him. And he went up to the mountain to pray. And when he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So he goes up to the mountain to pray. And in this moment, he begins to transform. Matthew's account of this, this moment says that he shone, his face shone like the sun, that he is pure brightness and glory, transforming from, from his human perspective, from, from the, 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 the shroud, the mask that he has worn that looks human into the God who he truly is. It's this moment that we, we remember that, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man that he walked around containing this light and this glory within him, but looked like normal, average, everyday people. Philippians 2 says this, um, speaking about this, this idea of Jesus being God and man. Uh, starting in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to death on the cross. In this moment, this encounter that Jesus is having with his father and with these, these two men, these two legends of the faith, his mask comes down, his true appearance his true glory shines as bright as the sun. That Jesus doesn't just do powerful things. He is this power. This is his nature. This is his character. This is who he is. He goes on in, in John chapter 8 to say that, that he is actually the light of the world. Not just a physical light, even though it's a physical light in this moment. It's a light that brightens the darkest of hearts, that brings revelation and clarity and wholeness in life into our world. There's this, this interplay throughout scripture of the, of, of the imagery of darkness and the imagery of light and, and how darkness affects the human condition, introducing chaos and disorientation and confusion and ultimately brokenness and death and how light has come into that darkness bringing wholeness and healing. This is who Jesus is. This is his nature, the light of the world. This beautiful scene that we get to see Jesus's nature coming to bring life and healing and wholeness to all of us in need of people stumbling around in darkness. What an amazing, beautiful scene. It goes on. In verse 30, it says, the two men, Moses and Elijah, these champions of the old faith, appear in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure 
which was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So Jesus is, is there and he's with uh, Moses and Elijah, Moses um, being the, the leader who God rose up when, when God's people, Israel, were, were captive in Egypt. God rose up this leader, and he's a father. He's a leader to these people. And through uh, God's power, Moses led them through the Red Sea and into ultimately tr- towards the promised land. And then Elijah, this prophet that scripture tells us never even tasted death was swept up to go be in, in, in the presence of God. These two men are there, and they begin conversing with Jesus. And ultimately, we're starting to see some of the purpose of this transfiguration, this whole mysterious, powerful thing that is happening, that it's, it's revealing and displaying God's glory. It's also preparing Jesus. He is discussing with these men what lies before him, the suffering and the cross and the fulfillment of of this prophecy. God is once again endorsing this man as his son. Think about it, we're in in Luke chapter nine. All of the the, the moments we've seen where where God has endorsed Jesus. Before he was born, the prophecy was Zechariah, the angels who visit Mary, the angels who visit the shepherds, the, the, the star leading the wise men, these people who show up at Jesus' birth over and over again at his baptism. It says that his father's voice was heard from heaven. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And over and over again, people are laying witness to God endorsing this man as his son. It's a beautiful moment. And then, and then Peter. Now, I, I resonate with Peter. He often says the wrong thing, but has the right intention. My, one of my favorite phrases is ready, fire, aim. That, that can be something I do sometimes. I don't know if some of you guys can resonate, where, where sometimes you just think or act too quickly. You kind of step into something before you really have assessed it. And, and, and this is kind of Peter's response. He sees what's happening. This glorious moment these champions of faith from old, this Jesus who they've been following, it's dawning on him with clarity who this is, and and this is how he responds. Starting in 32, it says, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And the men were leaving Jesus. Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. So it begins with them kind of have gone to sleep. They've nodded off. And and we see this in Scripture uh, a few other times where Jesus goes for these very long prayer sessions and his disciples fall asleep. And and as this scene is unfolding, uh, light like lightning and his face shining like the sun, it obviously wakes them up. And when they are awakened, they see Jesus, they see Moses, and they see Elijah. It's fascinating that they know that this is Moses and Elijah. It's not like there's uh, pictures of of them or descriptions of what they would have looked like to that kind of clarity. But in this moment, he sees what is going, and he says to Jesus, it's so good that we're here. And his response is to build a dwelling, to build a house, to build a temple for these three beings to stay in. Now, knowing his kind of old operating software, the old covenant, the old law, the way that that humanity engaged 
with God but before Jesus has come, some of this makes sense. In the Old Testament, we read that, that when um, Moses led God's people uh, into the wilderness for 40 years and eventually they make their way to the promised land, in this process, in this time, God gives them this code of conduct, this way of living called the law. And part of that describes his dwelling, that they're gonna build for him a temple. The first one was, was portable. It was made out of curtains and it had different uh, chambers within it. And in the inner chamber, the Holy of Holies, there was a box, an ark that represented the presence of God. So Peter's response through that lens kind of makes sense. I am witnessing power. I am witnessing the power of God. I need to build a dwelling to hold it so that we can stay in this moment, so that we can come back to the presence of God over and over. And in his mind, the presence of God is something that could be contained and compartmentalized. But Jesus's mission, what he envisioned for humanity was something so much greater. Listen to these words. This is Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 19. and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms. I'm sorry, that is the wrong verse. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, self, you put these in your notes. I'm not sure where that's going. <laughs> Let me try this again, 219, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and raised to become the holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you, you and I are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus' plan wasn't to reveal the presence of God and then to build a dwelling around it. His plan was that you and I would be that dwelling, that you and I would contain this glory and this power and this mysterious light that's being revealed in this story. What an amazing and beautiful concept. Now, Peter had an inclination to build a temple. That might not be our inclination, but we certainly know what it is to live compartmentalized, segmented lives. We know what it means in our culture to have these segments of lives. We go to work, we go to school, we have home life. And far too often, our connectivity, our awareness of God falls into one of those compartments where Peter might have wanted to build a temple to contain the glory of God, you and I can often fall into this idea that, that, that my engagement with God is in this segment. Sunday at 10 a.m. from this time to this time. Or, or, or when I'm reminded. And our growth as disciples, as sons and daughters of God, is growing in awareness that we are always in the presence of God that this power that raised Christ from the, 
from the dead, it tells us in Ephesians, this power that's on display in Luke chapter nine, it resides within us. Jesus, the light of the world, resides within us, bringing us renewal, bringing us clarity for us and for the world around us. This powerful light, not compartmentalized, but extending to every part of our life, every relationship that we have, every environment we find ourselves in, we are people containing the glory of God and displaying the glory of God. This is Christ's vision for you and for me. I'm gonna read these two parts out of 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter four, uh, starting in verse four. It says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, it's a small g. Talking about the influences, talking about the things that we submit to. The God of this age darkening the heart of humanity to not see the glory and the light that comes from the gospel of Jesus. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He made his light shine in our hearts, the same light that displayed on the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. We are these vessels, a jar of clay, fragile, ordinary, easily passed by, but that contains something brilliant and powerful through God's spirit dwelling within us. It goes on in, in verse 16, it says, therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but at what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Take heart. The brilliance shown on Jesus' face in the moment where he laid aside his humanity resides within us, bringing renewal for us, bringing glory to display to the world around us. This past, this past couple weeks, I um, had the opportunity to uh, be with some family. It was my dad's 80th birthday. Um, and I'm the, the youngest of five. Um, we're all half siblings, kind of a blended family. 
And we all got together for my dad's birthday. And it was the first time the five of us have been together in like over 10 years. We couldn't even remember the last time. And so as you do when you've not been around friends or family for a long time, we, we caught up. And we just began to tell the stories of our lives. And, you know, all of our kids are big now. And, and some having met my youngest daughter. And, and pretty soon the conversation got to what our experiences have been over the last few years specifically during this COVID season and everything that, that we've kind of gone through. And, and my siblings have all different kinds of jobs, HVAC, military, um, law enforcement, uh, a chef, just kind of a, a, a large swath of job experiences and from different places. And, and we began to just share our experiences and they were all very uh, curious about mine coming from Portland. I think the rest of our country thinks Portland is nuts. They were like, how did you survive? Are your kids okay? What's going on up there? And we see it on the news. We see it on the news. And I, I begin just to tell the story of, of, of what it's been like for my family and what it's been like for us as a church, kind of going through this season of uncertainty and, and, and experiencing both God's faithfulness, but also experiencing difficulty. And, and as I was sharing this story and, and that night I went to bed, I kind of reflected like, man, I'm tired. Not, not like a physical tired, like I need a, a good night's rest, but like a weariness of the soul. I don't think I'm alone in that. I think it's a bit of a common experience for people. And as I, I, I read these words, I, re, I read these words about being renewed day after day after day in the presence of God. Man, I'm yearning for that. I'm believing that. Directing my faith to ask the Father as he showed up and revealed his glory and his power and his might in this moment with Jesus, that that same power that raised Christ from the dead would renew, would make its home in me, that I could experience that power, that life, and be someone who gets to display that glory to the world around. And that's an invitation for, for all of us, that the God of the universe who makes his home in us, will renew us with his power, with his strength, with his glory. And the story continues. It says this in verse 34. Peter's pitched his really good idea. He doesn't know what he's saying. And it says this, that while he was speaking, he kind of gets interrupted here, right? A cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid, and they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. They get back to the disciples. Can, can you kind of picture that? They just have witnessed this amazing thing. They get back to the other nine disciples who are like, hey, how was it? What'd you guys do? Nothing. We're just hanging out. We're praying. No, they, they were in the presence of God. They hear a voice who says, this is my son. I've chosen him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Follow him. Trust him him. Put your confidence and faith in him. Love him. 
because through him, you are gonna become my sons and daughters. You will be my heirs and his co-heir. And through him, I'm gonna put my spirit in you and you're gonna be sons and daughters of light and of glory. No longer bound by the human condition to stumble in darkness without hope, but to experience the revelation, the revealing that comes from knowing the God of the universe and him making his home within us. What a beautiful story of God displaying his glory, his light, and his power. So I wanna, I wanna leave us. Sometimes when we have a story like this, it, it, it's, it's beautiful, but it, but it might seem distant or lofty. So I actually wanna leave us with a few really practical engagements into the glory of God in our lives. Ways that we make ourselves grow in awareness of where God's glory is, where we see this light and this beauty. The first one is just simply this, asking the question what we're setting our attention on. What are we setting before our eyes? What are we devoting our time to consuming? I, I'm sure like all of you, technology is a part of my life and there's parts of technology I absolutely love, but I also know technology can be a place that evokes all kinds of emotion in me that is not good. It, it can be a place where I can just disengage and numb out and miss what God is doing. My, my challenge for us is to set our eyes on things that reveal the glory of God. Man, guys, he's created us an entire planet and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And there's places that when I look at them, I can't not think about the glory of God. Would you consider today, tomorrow, this week, in a moment where you would otherwise be engaged in technology to set that aside to step outside and go be present with creation, thinking about our creator and him revealing his glory to us. So Romans 1 tells us all creation is testifying of who God is. Secondly, his word. We find his glory revealed in this word. As Psalms 119 says, that this is a, a light into our feet, a lamp into our path, and that when we engage in this word, we find his glory. We see with further clarity who he is, and we know him more, and we're more aware of where he's at work in us and in the world around us. And I, I don't know what, what scripture engagement looks like for you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a really uh, simple step. If you're someone's like, I've got a Bible, uh, I've read it a little bit, but I'm not sure where to begin. There's a, a book towards the, the very end called 1 John. It's only five chapters long. You could probably knock it out in a day or two, but it, it talks further about this theme of, of God's light and God's light entering the world and what that means for you and I. But to engage in his word because we find his glory, we find his renewal when we open his word. The third simple practical one is with each other, in our relationships and in community. 
I mean, Jesus engaged in all different types of, of groups, right? We, we uh, in just the, the, the chapter, uh, earlier in chapter nine, we, we read about him feeding the 5,000 and it's a large crowd and he often engages with large crowds and teaches them and that's kind of our, our Sunday morning experience. And it's really good for us to be together in this space doing what we're doing today. It spurs on my faith and it spurs on your faith. But Jesus didn't just go accumulating crowds and then going to the, from crowd to crowd. He also had moments in time where he was just with his disciples and he taught them intimately. He had meals with them. He gave them access to his life and he, he shared with them. And then it, it, he, had, he had friends. He had people like Peter, James, and John that he invited into this most revealing moment. Our relationships are crucial for our discipleship. That we're engaged in teaching like we are here today, but that we also have meals with one another and share stories and share life. That we have people, smaller groups of people who are committed to our discipleship, who know us. It's in these relationships that God reveals himself more and more. Through his creation, through his word, through our community, and then lastly, through communion. I'll invite our, our team to come back up as, as we're gonna re return to worship and, and we're gonna partake in communion. Um, if you're watching online, this is a moment to uh, find what you can, the elements um, for communion. But this, this simple act of worship, Jesus instituted with his disciples over a mill. And he said, listen, this is, this is one of the ways that you remember me. This is one of the ways that you're gonna remember my sacrifice for you. And it's in this communion that God reveals his love for us. The extent at which he was willing to reach so that we could be in community with him. Not set apart, not in darkness, in chaos, in disorientation, in confusion. But through what these elements on the table represent, God has made a way for us to be sons and daughters of light. So I wanna invite us over the next few moments, the band's gonna lead us uh, in a few songs and there's, there's tables set up on the side. I wanna invite us to go to these tables. And with this scene in mind of, of Jesus being revealed of who he truly is and, and knowing the promises that he's made to us to go to this table with gratitude and awe and worship as we take these elements, accepting who he is and worshiping him. Father, thank you um, that we get this opportunity uh, to be together, to hear this story about your son, what it reveals. Um, it's it's mind-blowing, it's powerful, it's mysterious. And yet ultimately, it concludes with you know, Jesus going to a cross, suffering, and being resurrected by your power and your spirit. So today we go to these tables that point us towards your glory and your light and your goodness. And we take these elements that represent a body broken and blood spilled. We take them as worship. We take them as hope for now and for the future. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Let's worship.